Father God, thank you for thank you for your marvelous, wonderful grace. How you have poured out your goodness on us. You call us, you 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 invite us to run to you. as we've been reminded in psalm this morning you're the god who runs to us you're the god who comes to us you are oh so so good and we worship you and we thank you for pouring out your goodness your grace in our lives in jesus name Amen. Today is uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, the real Thanksgiving. And uh, I want to talk about Thanksgiving this morning. And I don't know if you're in a place of abundance or if you're in the desert place. I don't know if the Lord has given or if the Lord has taken away. God calls us to thank him, to be thankful, to have hearts of gratitude. Whatever the circumstances of our life is, that we would be thankful. There are a lot of Bible verses that talk about the importance of being thankful. Let me share just a few of them with you. Um, Thanksgiving is, first of all, God's will for our life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is that proper response that we have to God's goodness. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good His love endures forever. Thanksgiving is one of the ways we fight anxiety. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And thanksgiving is one of the ways we worship or we encourage one another in worship. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we go through scriptures and there's so many more verses that talk about just the importance of thanksgiving and how it honors God and how it is good for us. And so Christians should give thanks but thanksgiving is not just a Christian virtue. Um, it, is, it is prevalent in all religions and even amongst those who have no use for religion. Um, most people would agree that it is good to be thankful. Uh, we celebrate this, this weekend as Thanksgiving, as Thanksgiving weekend, not just, as, not just in the church, but all of society gives thanks this time of year. 
And that raises the question, what is distinctive about Christian thanksgiving? What, what, is, it, what is it that makes this, this, this thanksgiving that, that we are to offer God unique, distinct? And, and we could probably answer that question a few different ways, but, but one distinctive is the recipient of our thanks. Who is the God that we give thanks to? And what I want to do this morning is take you to, to a passage of Scripture, uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 31, where the Apostle Paul gives a fairly comprehensive description of the God of, of Scriptures. And uh, I want us to see from, from this passage who God is. Who is this God that we give thanks to? Um, and, uh, and from that, I trust that uh, it, it, will, it will elicit from us response of thanksgiving, what we, what we thank him for. And, uh, and at the end of this message, what we're going to do together is we're going to give thanks to the Lord together. I'm going to give you an opportunity to just together as, as a body for us to give thanks to the Lord. Before we look at what Paul says about God, who he is, uh, I want to set the background for his speech. Paul was in the city of Athens, uh, waiting to meet up with his missionary partners, Silas and Timothy. And uh, while he's waiting, he's walking about through the city. And as he's doing that, he saw it was full of idols. And as he saw that this city full of idols, it, it began to agitate him. It began to, it began to stir within him. That, and so instead of waiting for his partners to, to come and arrive and, and to begin a, a mission there, he began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And it led to many people wanting to hear more about, what, about this, this teaching that he had that seemed strange to their ears. and They wanted to, to learn more about it. And so they took him to a meeting of the Areopagus, which was kind of like a, the, the city council. And, uh, and he was told there to explain this message that he had, which to their ears seemed to be advocating this foreign new God. And, and so Paul begins by mentioning his travels through the city and all the idols that he came across, and that how he even came across an idol with an inscription to an unknown God. And that becomes the point of contact. That becomes the point by which, where he, he connects with his audience, and he uses that to tell them about the God that they were ignorant of. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 31. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, 
we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul's intent here was not to teach about thanksgiving. His speech to the people of Athens, um, however, does help us to know who it is. Who is this God that we give thanks to? And what I want to do in this message is is look at Paul's description of God and from it draw some implications for what we should give thanks to him for. I'm going to summarize um, what he says about God in, in three ways. Number one, God is the creator of all things. Number two, God is the ruler of all nations. And number three, God is the judge of all peoples. Three things about God. Number one, We give thanks to the God who created all things. Um, The Bible never sits out to prove the existence of God. So you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it just assumes God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. God just is. And that's how Paul begins. Uh, his his speech. Uh, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it. He doesn't, he doesn't go into some proof about the existence of God. He just says, this God who made, who made the world and everything in it, and then he goes on to identify who this God is. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Today, science teaches that our universe is, is the product of chance, perhaps uh, part of a multiverse. All right, so this is, the prevalent, this is kind of the, the new thinking of, of the day, that we are part of a multiverse, and that uh, if there are enough universes, then that explains that there is w- why there is one like ours. That in, in all the, the, the if there are, you have enough universes, then by chance, all the factors come together to create the the circumstances that allow life like we have on this planet, in this universe. In contrast, Paul says that God is the maker of the world. In both the ancient and modern world, pantheism believes that God is in all things, It holds that God and the universe are one. In contrast, Paul says that God the creator is distinct from his creation, having made everything in the world. God is not the tree, the rock, or whatever. God made those things. Another common belief system is polytheism which embraces many gods, that there are many, many gods. In in contrast, Paul says that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is not one among many ruling over his portion of the world, like the God of thunder or the God of the sea or the God of the harvest. No, he is 
the one Lord who is sovereign over the entire universe. There's not one square inch that doesn't belong to him. Such a God doesn't need to live in dwellings which human hands have made, uh, have built, Paul says. In fact, this God is not dependent on, on us in, in any way. He is not served by, by human hands uh, as if he needed anything. Uh, in, in, instead, he's the one who sustains, who sustains us. He's the one who gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He feeds us. We don't feed him. Everything we have, our very life, even the very next breath we breathe, comes from this God who made heaven and earth. So we give thanks to this God who created all things. There there, are just some immense implications in this for our thanksgiving. Let me share a couple of them with you. First of all, and maybe a, a bit obvious here, but it means that we are to give thanks for his creaturely gifts of life and breath and everything else for his creaturely gifts. Uh, uh, the reason I bring this up is because Christians have always struggled with, you know, how do we relate to the material world? How do we relate to this, this material world in which we, we live? In, in the early church, there was, there was this teaching known as Gnosticism, which basically said that all material reality is intrinsically evil. All material reality is intrinsically evil. Um, and, and, and so, so the, uh, God is in heaven. God is spirit. And, and he, he's good. And, and, and all the physical stuff of this, of, this, of this life, all of that is evil. And we need to be separated from it in order to, in order to please God. But God speaks of his creation as good, very good. And even after the introduction of sin into the world, the material creation still reflects his his goodness. I've shared this quote before, speaking about our bodily existence. The writer says this, Our existence in time, space, and bodies is not a bug. For those of you who are computers, computer whizzes and stuff. This, this physical material body, it's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature designed by infinite wisdom for the communication of the unfathomable riches of his glory. This is a feature of, that God has designed. Our physicality to show off the glory of God. And so in our dependence on God, on God we not, not only ask him for our daily bread, but we thank him with joy for all the way he provides for our creaturely needs. And so on Thursday or Friday or whatever it was, Maureen made the first stew of the fall. Having you know, having been thinking about this for for a couple of weeks, my prayer at the dinner table was not simply, "Lord, thank you for providing for us," but 
God, thank you for Stu. The God who gives to us every creature we need and more. Another implication for our thanksgiving is that, is that our gratitude for every creaturely gift of God should point us to him. God didn't create this world, set it into motion, and then leave it to operate on its own. Instead, the Lord of heaven and earth is personally engaged in sustaining his creation. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He personally cares for us. He's not just a generous giver, but he is a loving and attentive father. And so when we receive his gifts with thanksgiving, we also look through the gift, as one writer puts it, we look through the gift to see the God who gave it to us. Another pastor says it like this, it is our happy duty to realize that when we drink cold water, we are drinking from the wellspring of God's heart. When we are drinking cold water, we are drinking from the wellspring of God's heart. And he goes on and he talks about, you know, feeling the smell of heaven when we bite an apple, when we hug a friend, when we take a hot shower, when we, when we, when we cheer on our team, when we listen to music, when we, when we um, sleep like a baby, that, that we should feel the smile of heaven. And, and, he, and, he, and he finishes with this, this line, these few sentences, he says, it is good that we pause over each gift and think, my heavenly father made this and gave this to me. How kind and good he is. My heavenly father made this and gave it to me. is this father. So we give thanks to the God who created all things. And maybe your, your, your mind, your, your heart um, will, will lead you to the think, like the spirit of God will, will cause you to, to, to think more and more of, of the different implications of that for our thanksgiving. But we go on and talk about giving thanks to the God who rules all nations. Uh, many faith traditions believe in a God who created the world. Right? So, so that is not unique to Christianity. Many faith traditions believe in that. But God, Paul goes on to say of the Lord of heaven and earth, he says this in verses 26 and 27. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands uh, God did this, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. In the ancient world, some groups of people believed that they were better than other groups of people because of their ethnic background. So in the ancient world, they had this very quaint, ancient way of thinking that they were better than other people because of their ethnic background. I guess it hasn't changed that much. Um, we still think the same way. 
But the Bible says we all come from one man, the first man, Adam. And that means fundamentally we are all of one race, the human race, made in the image of God. And all of the different ethnic groups and nationalities we see today are descended from this one common ancestor, from Adam. This is God's design. Right? All the genetic coding was present in Adam to bring about the diversity of peoples on the earth. This is God's design. This, this is God's design. God didn't only bring about the diversity of the nations, but he also sovereignly governed their power and their place in the world. Right? And so um, he, he, he's, he spreads them out throughout the whole earth to inhabit the, the entire globe. This is his plan from the very beginning, right? Fill the earth. And then the people don't want to do that. They, they want to gather in Babel and build a city where they can be safe and secure and not have to spread through all the, all the world. And so God comes down and he judges them and, and, and causes them to go out and populate the, the earth. And so we see in history the migrations of peoples and, and, the, and the rise and the fall of, of nations, even the refugee crisis today. This is all part of God's providential rule. This is all part of his design, his, his ruling over the nations. It doesn't mean that he's responsible for the aggression or the oppression that we see among the nations. Human kings and rulers and leaders and despots and, and dictators, they will answer for their actions. But while they think that they are in absolute control, the reality, the truth is, God's purposes will ultimately prevail. He is sovereign. He is ruler over the nations. One of the purposes that God has for the nations and peoples of the world is that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. The God of the Bible is not the God of a particular, particular ethnic group. He is the God of the nations whose purpose is for men and women and children from every language and every tribe and every peoples and every nation to seek him and to find him. And what goes unsaid here, but, but is, what is implied, is that there is simply something profoundly broken in the relationship between God and us. There's something deeply, deeply broken in that relationship between us. We are far from the God who made us. We don't know him as we should. But the problem is in us. It's not in God. It's in us. He is not a distant God. He is not far from any one of us. He is not a God who is uncaring about the peoples of this world. He is a God who is near, who calls all nations to seek him. So how does that inform our thanksgiving? How does that inform us in, in terms of giving thanks to God? For one thing, we should be thankful for ethnic diversity. We should be thankful for, for the, 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 
the peoples of, of, the, of the globe, all the nationalities, all the races, all the, all the ethnic, uh, ethnic groups in the, in the world. As one writer puts it, um, ethnic diversity isn't something that we should be begrudgingly, to- that should be, be, uh, be begrudgingly tolerated, but enthusiastically celebrated. He says, when it comes to ethnicity, the proper response for the Christian is not to ignore it or gloat about it or be ashamed of it or feel guilty about it. The proper response is to thank God for it and leverage it for the glory of God. Leverage it for the glory of God. Celebrate it. Be thankful for it. Moreover, we should be thankful for a God who loves the nations, whose heart is for the nations. So great is his love for the nations that he sends his son to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting Jesus came and he died on the cross for all peoples to open the way for for lost sinners of all tribes and languages and peoples and nations for all peoples to come back to the God who created us. But even that's not the end of our thanksgiving because this Savior who died for us also sends us his disciples into the world. Right? As, as Pastor Rand spoke about last week, this great commission to take this, this news of this good news of Christ dying for the world, taking this good news to the world, to proclaim among the nations that God is near and that those who seek him will find him. John Piper says, missions is our way of saying The joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. Missions exist because of God's loving rule over the nations. And so so when we thank um, God, we thank him for missionaries. And we thank him for churches that support those missionaries. We thank God is a God who rules over the nations. Then thirdly, we give thanks to the God who judges all peoples. In Acts chapter 22, or Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 29, Paul quotes two of the secular Greek poets that the Athenians would have been familiar with. Sorry, verse uh, 28 and 29. He says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Verse 28. Um, And so you'll notice that first sentence in quotation marks. That's a quote of one of the Athenian, the Greek poets. And then um, he mentions, he specifically talks about, you know, one of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he, he gives these two quotes from Greek poets about um, being, being um, uh, 
uh, having our being in God and, uh, and being offsprings of God. Um, the, the, the problem here is, is that the Greek poets were talking about Zeus. They were talking about Zeus. So why does Paul quote them? He's in no way, he is in no way saying that the true God who created the heaven and the earth, that this true God is the same as Zeus. He's not doing that. Rather, he's, he's using their poets to do two things to connect with them. One, those quotes substantiate his argument that humanity staggers around trying to reach out for God. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And that, that expression has this idea of staggering around to look, reach for him and, and, and find him. And so he's substantiating his point that, that humanity staggers around trying to reach out for God, that there is something in us that seeks the divine. There is something in us that seeks deity. Even though we seek him in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. So that's one reason he gives that quote, those two quotes. The other reason he gives those two quotes um, is, is that they support his argument that the true and living God is indeed near to us. He is indeed near to us because we are truly created by him, we are his offspring. We're not the offspring of Zeus, but we are the offspring of the true and living God. We are his creation. And because we are created by him, we are accountable to him. And that accountability places us under God's judgment. And so he goes on to say, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And here Paul gets to the essence of our sin. We have put something else as the God of our life rather than the God who created us and rules over us. We have fashioned our own gods from gold and silver and stone and everything else imaginable. Whether it's physical or in our hearts, we have fashioned these, these idols to worship. And so we who are fearfully and wonderfully made by God in his image, we dare to make the God of the universe into our own image. We the creature dare to make the God who made us into our image. And this is the story of human religion down through history. We are idolaters. We are idolaters. 
And in the past, God overlooked this. What? It doesn't mean that he ignored it. It doesn't mean that he excused it. It means that God allowed the nations to go their own way. He didn't visit judgment on them as their idolatry deserved. He overlooked that ignorance. But now, things are different. Something has changed. Something has entered into history changed everything. It's not that people didn't need to repent before. But now he calls them to, now he calls all peoples of all nations specifically to repent. Why? What has changed? And you know, Jesus has come. Jesus has come. The judge of the world has been revealed, and the end of the ages has come. It's not that people didn't need to repent before, but now the time of judgment is at hand. Now we see that God will judge the world through, through Jesus. Sin will be brought to an end. How do we know this? Because God has not left us in our ignorance Rather, he has raised Jesus from the dead. How do we know the end is near, that the time of judgment is at hand? Because Christ is raised from the dead. This is the proof that judgment is coming, because the judge of all peoples is alive, and he will return. Here is the crux. Here is the the issue. This is is the the thing that, that separates everything. Jesus died and rose again. And this judge is just. We should be thankful that the judge of all the earth will judge with justice and do what is right. There will be no miscarriage of justice. Evil and oppression and and bigotry and selfishness, and greed, and malice, and idolatry, and every other wrong that exists in the world, all of that will be brought to an end. Sin and Satan will not have the final say. All of it will be brought to an end. So we give thanks to the God who is just and will judge with justice. And yet, at the same time, when God does a work in our hearts and opens our eyes to see ourselves in the light of the perfection of Jesus Christ, when we come to grips with who Jesus is and we see him in his perfection and we see ourselves in light of who he is, we become keenly aware that um, we are deserving the judgment that's to come. Do we not? 
We are, we are deserving of that judgment. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is, there is no idol that can save us from God's judgment. But, but here is the, this most amazing grace. The resurrection of Jesus is also proof that through repentance and faith, we will be saved. We put our trust in Christ. We will be saved from the judgment to come. Our one hope is to turn from our sin and, and our idols and, and place our trust in the death-destroying, life-giving Lord of heaven and earth. If, you've, if you don't know this God, my prayer is that you will grasp how much he wants you to seek him and to find him. He, he, his heart is for you to seek him. His heart is for you to find him. He is near to all who call on his name. But for those of us who have received the gospel message and now know the judge of all the earth as our Savior and Lord, how can our hearts not overflow with thanksgiving for his indescribable gift of salvation? But when we think of what God has done for us, this wonderful, amazing grace that he has given to us, poured out on us, it causes us, it leads us, it draws us to give thanks to the Lord for his amazing grace. That's what I want us to do. I want us to respond to this God who created all things, who rules all nations, and who judges all peoples. I want us to give thanks together to the Lord of heaven and earth. So what I want to ask us to do is to voice a one or two sentence prayer of thanksgiving to God. So just um, just lift up your voice nice and loud so that we can all join with you and just saying, amen, yes, God, thank you. Um, but together, we will voice our expressions of thanksgiving to him. Short prayers, one or two sentences. You know, if, if, you're, you're, if your heart is just, just overflowing um, and you've got lots of thanks to give thanks for, do one or two and then let other people give some thanks and then come back and, and, and give some more thanks. If your heart is dry and it is empty and you say, God, I don't know what I can give thanks to you for. In the quietness of your heart, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to fill your heart. He will lead you to praise him. And if all you can offer him is one word of thanksgiving, do that. Thank you. But this is what I would like us to do. It's just together. It takes a little bit of time. And this Thanksgiving weekend, remind our own hearts of the goodness of the Lord, of the greatness of our God, and to give thanks to him. I'm going to start, and then uh, I trust that you will lift up your voice and, lead, and uh, just offer, offer to the Lord one or two sentences of thanksgiving.
of his goodness, of his greatness. Um, draw from these thoughts that we've talked about of who God is to give him thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you have not left us in ignorance, but have revealed yourself first in your creation, but most specifically in your word. Thank you.